Welcome to the Heart of Dating Podcast. Hey, it's Kate. I'm so glad you could join us this week as we try to untangle the ever so ambiguous world of dating as a Christian. Over here on Heart of Dating, we get real as we answer some tough questions and uncover transformative ways to approach Christian dating. Oh, and you better believe we have some laughs along the way, because last time I checked, the struggle is hashtag real. You know what I'm saying? Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. Hey friends, it's Kate Warman here, and I want to welcome you sincerely to season five of the Heart of Dating podcast. Ah, we're so excited. But before today's episode, I felt the need to stop and recognize what is happening in the world right now. Although today's conversation was recorded months ago and doesn't address these specific topics, we are grieving right now with the world and we want you to know that. We are hurting with our world in the face of COVID-19, but moreover, right now, we are pained alongside our black brothers and sisters. We are grieved, heartbroken, and sick over the injustices and acts of hatred regarding the murders of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and countless others within the black community. Murders and injustices that have been going on not just in this last year, but for hundreds of years. And not only do we mourn you guys, we are committed to doing even better as a community podcast and a ministry when it comes to talking about social injustice, racism, white privilege, and white supremacy, as well as many other conversations surrounding these topics. We wholeheartedly support the movement for equality and justice, and we as a team at Heart of Dating commit to joining forces and standing with our black brothers and sisters as an ally to use our ministry as a voice to fight against racism, not just today, but day after day until we can break the terrible bonds of racism in this country. We stand for justice, truth, and for love. We also want to be clear, we are not leading this cause. Our role is rather to listen and to learn from our black brothers and sisters who have already carved the path to follow black leaders, friends, artists, voices, and creators who have already paved the way begging for change to happen for hundreds of years. And as for the future of this podcast, we are actively looking for more diversity in our guest lineup, and we actually plan on having more episodes regarding race and ethnicity and dating. And we really want to invite you guys into that conversation as well. If you have suggestions, if you have topics you want us to discuss, please email us, message us on Instagram. We want to hear from you. So with all that being said, I'm super excited to bring to you today's episode with the incredible John Van Epp to talk about how to avoid falling in love with a jerk, which by the way, also encompasses jerkettes for all the guys listening. This is a really practical episode that you're not going to want to miss. Also, I kind of feel like everyone's yelling at their phone right now or wherever they're listening to this podcast, like, amen, I don't want to fall in love with a jerk. So you're going to really enjoy this episode, I promise you. John Van Epp has a PhD in counseling and psychology and is the author of How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk, a book that blends in-depth research with humorous stories to provide a map for making healthy relationship choices. Dr. Van Epp's evidence-based relationship programs were developed from the combination of his 25 years of clinical counseling in his private practice. Also in his previous position as a founding pastor of a non-denominational church and within his extensive reviews of research in premarital, marital, and family relations from teaching graduate marriage and family coursework as an adjunct professor. 
Dr. Van Epp has trained and certified more than 10,000 instructors from all 50 states and 10 countries who have taught these programs to more than a million people from settings including the military, social agencies, healthy relationship coalitions, jails and prisons, intimate partner violence shelters, singles organizations, high schools, universities and colleges, churches, and faith-based organizations. Come on now, that's so awesome. Dr. Van Epp and his relationship programs based around his innovative relationship attachment model were awarded the Smart Marriage Impact Award in 2008 and have been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Time Magazine, Psychology Today Magazine, and Cosmopolitan. And he has also appeared on CBS Early Show, Good Morning America, Fox News, and Focus on the Family. And guess what, you guys? Today, you are getting a crash course on some of the top things in his program, How to Avoid Falling in Love with the Jerk. You guys, this is an episode you're going to want to listen to and take notes and then have a lot of discussions with people around you. You are going to glean and learn so much from it. So we wanted to start season five off with a bang, how to avoid falling in love with a jerk. Let's go. John Van Epp, welcome to Heart of Dating podcast today. It's so great to be here, Kate. Obviously, we're not in the same room, but uh, we <laughs> yeah. certainly have this wonderful opportunity, like many others, to, to meet together through the cyber world. <laughs> the cyber world. It is definitely an interesting time to be alive, but I am actually just so grateful for podcasting right now and for mm. virtual technology because we're able to have a conversation still even though we're not in real life and we're able to share this with people over the internet and I think there's a huge great gift and blessing in that so even though we can't be in real life I'm super excited that we're doing this right now. <laughs> it, does, it opens up um, opportunities I think in some ways people are going to be jumping on podcasts maybe more than ever as yeah. well as other things we just did a oh we just did a, like a zoom conference with um anybody that wanted to jump on dr morgan cutlip who is my daughter but also works for me she and i jumped on together and all of a sudden there's this wonderful opportunity that we're looking face to face with people on zoom video conference that previously we just assumed they were out there doing you know doing online courses and doing their thing but all of a sudden now we have virtual meetings. And so maybe this will, with social distancing, yeah. maybe we'll have actually some increase of social contact that is meaningful yeah. for all of us. I love that. I honestly love that. I have been using Zoom more than ever this last week, to be honest. It's been awesome, though, to really get on calls, with, whether it's with friends or with people in the heart of dating community. And I just think that it's a gift that we do live in a time. I was thinking back if this happened like a hundred years ago, like we would have felt that much more isolated, you know, if this, I mean, not having technology being able to connect. So even though it's not the best season, it's a very challenging season. There's something beautiful. And I'm super grateful that we do have technology and that hopefully it will steward more community. John, I'm just so excited. I was first introduced to to who you are uh, back actually last year. We had a guest on the podcast. Her name's Allie Fallon. And her and I had a really interesting and beautiful conversation. 
also difficult conversation, but surrounding the topic of abuse, actually, and her story and then some of my story. And actually, during that conversation, she recommended your book, How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk. And I love the title. I laughed when I heard it because I was like, yes, wow, I need that book. <laughs> I was like, yep. <laughs> and uh, and then I read it and I was like, oh, this is incredible. So, I mean, pages of notes. <laughs> it's one of those things where I couldn't stop writing. So I'm excited to introduce you to our Heart of Dating audience. Would you just do us a favor and share a little bit about who you are, what you do, and then we could get into even why you wrote that book specifically? Oh, yeah, I'd love to. So I'm now running a a small business, you might say, which has resources that are for developing healthy relationships. Uh, I have a Christian, you know, background in the ministry, but um, had a private practice in Northern Ohio for about 25 years. And in the middle of that, wanted to do something that that went more preventative. And that's really how in the mid 90s, 1990s, I started getting involved in developing relationship programs that have now just really kind of blossomed. And we have different versions and we work very deeply with churches, but we've also worked with non-faith organizations. And so we've had research published on all of our programs they're all evidence-based. They're used in community outreaches by social agencies and nonprofits and on and on. So that was kind of the beginning from the mid-90s and really took off just going into 2000. So um, just to give you a quick overview, we have courses that people teach so they can get instructor certification at home through streaming videos so they can get that and then teach it. The book that we're going to talk about today has a version of the course that teachers teach also in public schools, which has been phenomenal. That's amazing. How awesome it is to sit down with 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, and actually give them a value-based approach that is also supported by research as well as backed up by existing research. But to give them approach that that harmonizes with our Judeo-Christian values, biblical values, but put in a language that the schools accept. We've had over 100,000 kids go through this with workbooks being taught by, a lot of times taught by people in nonprofits that come into the schools and say, hey, we want to offer this. And they get state and federal grant money. There's a grant money called uh, risk avoidance, sexual risk avoidance grants that, that are really trying to help young people think about how to build relationships in safe ways, healthy ways, ways that will secure their future. So we've had this involvement. And then we have a lot of these things you can see on our lovethinks.com website. We also have my love Thinks, which has lots of free resources. We have online versions to these courses. So people can actually watch the first session of the online courses for free. If they just go on my love Thinks. and Just one last thing that we've been doing now for several years is have a whole six-week church-wide healthy relationship series that has sermons, video-based curricula from elementary through middle school, high school, and then all the small group video-based. And really, everybody learns the same kind of content applied to their own relationships in this six-week series. It's truly a -a one-of-a-kind relationship series and the churches that have done it have just 
been blown out of the water with how empowering it is for their church to go through. So we've just kind of have all these sprinklings of involvement that have been really such a blessing from God to be able to, to be involved in, in supporting people in their relationships from individuals all the way to organizations and communities to large churches. So good, John. I was telling you before the interview, I am just so grateful to meet people who are passionate about relationships and who, you know, you've been doing this for, I guess, what, over 20 years now, I right? And I, I feel old. <laughs> no, no, not at all. We need veterans like you that like have been studying this. And part of why, you know, I love Brené Brown. She's a researcher. Part of why I love so much of her studies on shame and vulnerability is because it is research-based. And I think there's something so awesome to really understand, okay, this is what it's saying. We've tested this, we've been studying it, and that's what you've been doing, you know, and you're bringing that to people being like, no, wait, here is some research also to back it up. I know lots of people that think that they know exactly how to date the right way. And I don't think there's like a one size fit all process either, but I do think that, you know, sometimes we can better solidify maybe a different way of dating, especially when there's research to back up (laughs) those things as well. So I'm so grateful for the curriculum you've created, the resources, the courses. I hope everyone, especially in this time, well, with social distancing, quarantining, what a great time to get online and kind of look at some of these things, especially you mentioned first lesson, I think you can watch for free, right? In some of these programs. And so awesome. So I really hope people take the opportunity to do that, especially after they start hearing uh, what we're going to talk about today. I'm sure they're going to be that much more intrigued. <laughs> I sure hope so. You know, we. Um, I, I would also say Morgan every day is on My Love Thinks Instagram, pushing out free resources, sharing things with people, doing little videos, on and on and on. And that's a great way to stay in touch with what's going on is just to jump on Instagram and get to My Love Thinks. And, and I'll, I'll kind of concur with you saying and kind of focus in on so. Really, in the mid-90s, I was teaching grad school in marriage and family coursework, and I had a a full-time private practice, and really wanted to go upstream to help people in their relationships. And I particularly had a heart for singles that, at that point, I was saying, hey, the single head of household population is growing like crazy, and it's just going to be a matter of time before more than half of America head of households will be singles. Mm -hmm. And we have seen that over the last 25 years come true, as well as more than 50% of the babies born to the millennial generation are born to single moms, unmarried moms. And that's true of middle America. There is a huge, huge need to talk about not just parenting, but one of the biggest parent challenges of parenting is the partnering process. We need to help people with this whole area of partnering. And that's what I started. So anyway, what's going on back then is I had a, a model that I had developed that helped to portray five major connections that occur in all relationships. It was, if you can just imagine in a recording studio, the the sliders that go up and down on the record, you know, on the the, um, mixing board. And if you can just imagine there's five sliders that go up and down and we'll talk about what they are, but they represented 
in every one of our relationships, five major ways we connect with another person or we bond with them. And I thought how valuable this is that it was, I developed this model back when I was doing my PhD work and then I had used it through my private practice. And so I started incorporating it in all the programs that I developed as well, because how valuable is it for us to be able to visualize this invisible world of relationship and say, Hey, here are the major ways I'm connecting with this person and how they're interacting with each other. And I can now be more intentional about what I do in these five areas if I can actually visualize what's going on. So I took that. And then in the grad school, I was, I was teaching marriage and family assessment classes and things like that. It was all this academic stuff. But I kept reading research that I was presenting to the students. And some of it was about a premarital or some characteristic of somebody before marriage that actually in the research study predicted a marriage outcome. So maybe it was going to predict divorce or maybe it was going to predict a good relationship outcome. And I thought, I wonder how many research studies there are of, you know, characteristics before marriage that predict outcomes after marriage, because how great would it be for singles to know this? So I started literally going through all the, the, you know, the research studies in the library. I mean, I just like collected hundreds of research studies, organized them and found that they, they kind of neatly fell into five categories. And I, and I looked at these five categories and I go, man, these make so much sense when we read the scriptures, because in the scriptures, we see these narratives and storylines and personal experiences. And then we have, like in the epistles, we have admonitions about do this, don't do that. But these five categories actually take all of that research as well as all of that scripture and put it in a very kind of easy to understand set of five areas that really became the target areas to get to know about somebody, as well as to get to know about yourself, that predicted relationship outcomes. I call it relationship potential and character. So when I put all that together, the model of relationship bonds called the RAM, the relationship attainment model, with these five areas, that really kind of set the course for the book and for the program. And once it was put together, honestly, it, it started exponentially taking off. So it was I'm so excited to dive into those five areas. And I'm just so thankful for the work you're doing, you've been doing and that are, we need this so badly. All the singles are like, yes, please, we need to, I need better predictors of marriage material, you know, and things like that and relational health. Now I kind of want to start to, before we get into the five buckets and we can really go wherever you want with this, John, but part of me is also wanting to address the fact that the way love is today, we kind of rush things. We, we almost fall into an infatuation. There's things that happen today that maybe didn't happen quite as much in different eras of time when we had more arranged marriages and things like that. Uh, but I'm curious, uh, you know, th this is kind of funny, but recently, I don't know if you heard about the show. There's a show on Netflix called Love is yeah, Blind. Love is blind. <laughs> okay. Right. And when yeah. I was actually rereading some of your book recently, I was like, oh my gosh, you mentioned like the love is blind phenomena. And I'm like, that's so timely to the fact that we just had this mega show on Netflix, which I will admit that I watched, you know, people who are listening, you know, basically 
it's strangers that meet in these pods and go on dates without ever seeing one another. So they're basically just talking through a wall. And to top it off, basically in two weeks, I believe, they have to decide if they're going to get engaged to somebody that they've never seen in real life or technically met in real life. And so you have multiple couples that end up getting engaged (laughs) without ever seeing one another. And then I think they move in the same apartment. Yeah. Then they go on a honeymoon. Yeah. And then after the honeymoon, they go, they exactly, they go to Mexico, they experience honeymoon, like, okay, now we get to physically be together after not really knowing each other. And then they get to move in together immediately after that and then have their marriage like or have their wedding very soon after that I forget the exact timeline but it all happens incredibly fast Um, and anyway it's kind of funny because I know the premise of the show wants it to be about the fact that you know a lot of times we make decisions based on visual you know like on dating apps or when we see someone everything today is so consumeristic we use and abuse and we're just like nope don't like that move on to the next and it's mainly based on physical qualities. And so I I like it in one element, okay? Just the fact that I think that relationships are so much more than physical appearance because that fades. So, okay, I can admit to that. But um, I also think there's a lot of problems with the model. But I want to basically bring to you, John, how do you think that we do approach this in ways? We do approach love as being blind in many ways. They didn't eliminate the physical. Didn't they allow um, that when you meet them for the first time, you can kind of do thumbs up, thumbs down and either step into the engagement or step out of it? Oh yeah, they do that. Yeah. You can either move forward or not. That's true. You're right. (laughs) So you have, you have like literally a, you know, a, whatever it is, 10 minute visual to be able to make your decision. (laughs) There's a lot of issues with that show and how they're doing it. I think what there were six couples, two of them got married. Yes. Maybe one's on the fence and then the other three are out. Yes, exactly. It. And we don't know if the marriages will last or not. But I think, first of all, marriage has been approached differently over the course of, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years. If we're talking, mm-hmm. if we're talking about the history of marriage, then marriage has been approached different ways. To compare this, though, to arrange marriages in many cultures, arranged marriages were done by the families yeah. with actually quite a few requirements. It was not just the, you know, sometimes we think of arranged marriages in Western culture, which we're not seeing it happen around us. We just think of it like we see in the movies with Pilate, you know, the political king of France marries his daughter off to the, you know, prince over then in England to create this kind of political alignment. Right. But really in a lot of cultures that have practiced and still practice arranged marriages, the families are very involved and they also have pretty high requirements of some of the things that are in the buckets. Oh wow. And I say it's the families doing it. I'll give you a quick example. I went over to Singapore several times and one time I was doing a training in this course that's based on the book, How to Avoid Falling for a Jerk, or, or let's put out there right away, Kate, Jerk or Jerkette. Okay, so let's- Yes, <laughs> I love that you clarify in the book, it's not just a male, which we can right. often, often associate jerk as being a guy, but it could be a jerkette as in a female. <laughs> 20 minutes in, and there's probably, we've already probably lost people because they're like, ah, I'm not going to be male bashing. And exactly. it is not at all. No, And not it's not all. really bashing anybody. It's just saying reality is- some people are difficult to be with in a relationship. And then some qualities actually are necessary 
that promote how to have healthy, fulfilling, well-functioning, long-lasting relationships. And those are the qualities we need to look at and be able to identify both ourselves and others and, and see what can be worked on and what, what maybe is, is not being worked on or is being dismissed. So those things we need to be able to informed about. But anyway, I was over in Singapore and um, I had maybe, I don't remember, 30 to 50 people I was training to be certified in teaching this in different settings. Well, I found out that uh, a good half, if not uh, the majority of them, were actually professional. They had a name for them, but they were basically uh, kind of like the helping people make the arranged marriage. They oh, were like match- a matchmaker. Okay, yeah, they were matchmakers, but they had another name that I can't remember. But it was a it was a profession over there that was involved with actually coordinating with families. And one of the things that really kind of shocked me, but solidified for me that that these buckets were fairly universal and they crossed culture. And they were, in my opinion, also very biblical buckets as well. They said, you know, this defined the major areas that we do try to help families think about when they're making an arrangement with their kids. And a lot of arranged marriages do take the attraction and the interest of their son or daughter as part of their consideration. So it's not just, you know, the parents making all the decisions. It, there's, it's a lot of different cultures out there. So, so to, in other words, here we go into love is blind and we say two people are going to be in a pod. And like you said, so there's value that they're, that they're actually engaging in talking. But I say the getting to know process has two other T's involved in it other than just talking. Talking is really good. So they are maximizing something I think is valuable. But the other two T's is togetherness in different situations. Just think of people that you know. You don't know them. If you know them at work and then you get out socially with them or you happen to go visit their families, their parents or any other setting, you can see what they're like around your friends or their friends. There's many things that start to surface about that person that the work situation did not. So I say, hey, you have to see people in different moods. You have to see them when they're stressed. Uh, We jokingly say you got to see them when they're angry. That's why you should try to make people mad at you on the first date. (laughs) (laughs) That's just a joke. It's not true. That's amazing. But but it is true. I mean, you can go out with somebody for – Shoot, you can be in a pod definitely for two weeks and never have opportunity for them to be mad oh, at you. For sure. And you can you could go out with somebody for literally a couple months easily if you're a good-hearted person and you and you have that click factor and you get along, right? You go out with them, never have a situation where they get mad at you. So talking is really important, but talking about the right areas, which is why I have those five buckets. And then being together in different moods, different situations. And then the third that I think you really can't get around is time. And I know we want to be accelerated. We want to find all the ways to just speed this process up. We we are not patient. You know, mm-hmm. if my phone doesn't click to a, a, a site or if, if that little spinny thing happens on my computer, I mean, literally in about one second, I'm already ticked off. What is wrong with my computer? 
So we approach relationships in a similar way, but the reality is, is that time is really essential and there's no way to get around it. I, I have something I call the 90 day probation period that just says things that you see about a person in the first couple months can be completely altered and contradicted even somewhere around the third month because First of all, you new situations have arise. That's just normal. So part of my tea of togetherness is is happening over that period of time. And just the natural ways that people are putting their best foot forward start to lessen a little bit. And somewhere around the third month, we have lots of research in many different areas that say right around that 90 day period, um, the truth starts to surface. It doesn't completely surface, but starts to surface. And I'll, I'll tell you a quick scripture real yeah, quick. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And then I'll, I'll let you kind of pick up and, and decide where we wanna go. But I love where Paul is advising Timothy on the appointing of leaders. And he, in the midst of talking to him, he says, don't lay your hands, meaning don't appoint leaders, like you put your hands on. Well, nowadays it'd be like, don't lay hands on anybody because we have social distancing. But back then <laughs> it was, right? it was, it was like Paul said, listen, don't lay hands on your leaders too quickly for the sins of some come before them, but the sins of others trail behind. What he's saying is you can't get around the, the necessity of taking time to really get to know somebody. And then interestingly, he says, take a little wine for your stomach problems. And I think, well, that's why he had stomach problems is because he was rushing the process of getting to know leadership, appointing them too quickly because of the need of the moment. Obviously, you know, we got to get this done. We got all these needs, persecution. And I mean, think about what was happening then. And so there were, he was rushing the process. And as a result, having indigestion and ulcers and appointing people that as time continued and we hit that 90 day probation period, some of their real problem areas and issues started to surface. Bring that back into this dating world. And I'd say, listen, we cannot rush this. We have the wonderful opportunity to build relationships at a good pace. Let's use wisdom, good judgment, wisdom from God, but also commingle that with the best of what we know from relationship theory and research and use that in wise ways to build relationships that ultimately have a great likelihood of lasting a lifetime. I love that you're saying this, John, because I think especially for Christians, I see a lot of Christians that are wanting to rush this process for one reason or another. Maybe it's because A, they're like, I heard that God told me this is absolutely the one, so why wait? But there's a lot that I think that needs to be processed through time and shown through time. I love the time reference. Um, another, conversely, I hear this a lot or, you know, because of being abstinent, you know, they're waiting to have sex till marriage. And so I found the person. So like, let's not, let's not waste another day. Let's get married in three months. <laughs> You know, and I think that 
I'm not all of those marriages fail. Uh, definitely not. But I think that it can be incredibly problematic. And then you sacrifice what you're saying is the intimacy, the three elements, which is the talk, the togetherness and the time, which I love that intimacy equals talk plus togetherness plus time. I believe that's what you were referencing. And you sacrifice some of those things, such as the togetherness. If you're getting married incredibly quickly, you're trying to rush your timeline and you're also obviously rushing the time. And I will say that I have definitely done this. But what's so funny is when I also heard, I think it was Allie and I in the conversation we had back last fall, she was like, you know, it's interesting being in abusive relationships is like, at first, I didn't see these qualities. I didn't see the, you know, the elements of you know, the toxic elements quite as evidently. And I've, I will also say I didn't see those toxic elements quite as evidently in somebody in the beginning, in some people I've dated in the beginning either. But I will say about the 90 days, you're so right. Like after 90 days, I'm like, oh, here are the things I've been, I've been missing, you know, like, because a lot of people are, are pretty good at, you know, keeping things under, under the lid for at least that 90 days, myself even included, to be honest. Like, I'm going to put on a pretty good front for at least 90 days in dating, you know? Well, you would hope so. I mean, that's just, I think that's just good graces. You know, something else, Kate, I'll just mention is I, I think we have some polarizing currents. They go in opposite directions and they lock us in. So there is a current of highly accelerated relationships, kind of like the Love is Blind Netflix show. I think uh, sexual involvement or touch is highly accelerated. Even uh, cohabitation moving in out, outside of a marriage relationship is you know, highly accelerated. And just this is our, these cultural trends. If you just imagine a current pushing really hard in that direction of the average from from research that I've read and collected, even just recently reviewing it all, just in the last few weeks I've been working on it, the average number of dates or times out before sex out there is three to four times. So sexual involvement is highly, highly accelerated. So if that's average, that means some are going faster than three, four, five times, and some are going a little slower. But that's that's just a, an extremely unprecedented norm for culture. Okay, you understand that historically that that has never been a norm, particularly for women. Women have, <laughs> I hate to say this, but women have been the gatekeepers of sexual involvement for a long, long time because of risk of a pregnancy and because of contraceptives. And especially um, advances in that from the 1960s on, a sexual revolution and uh, a, a woman's revolution that was all about uh, this is my body and I can do what I want with it. All these things have converged to create this cultural trend that is highly, highly accelerated in the sexual involvement. Okay, so, and it's not just that, it's kind of like what the show is implying. You can build a good relationship really fast. You can get to know somebody really fast. You, If you just isolate, focus on and on, these are things. So imagine that current. We then have an undercurrent of mistrust, ambiguity, lack of definition, and ang- relationship anxiety like never before. People are really uncertain. They don't know what to do. They don't know if they should trust somebody. 
So here's an undercurrent going in the opposite direction that is equally as forceful as the current pushing them to accelerate and get involved, and then an undercurrent of mistrust and anxiety and and really kind of a, 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 a basic fear, as well as you might say, an individualism, like, is this relationship going to interrupt my own personal growth? What I want to accomplish in life, getting my education, depending on your age, or is it going to negatively affect uh, my options in life? Or what if this person, what if I'm locking into this person, then missing out on somebody better? So the, you know, fear of missing out, all of that is the current going opposite of the accelerated current. And those those the current and undercurrent is our dating culture that in 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 America and just because you're christian doesn't mean you're not standing in that that water that water is there and it is is affecting you so what i've tried to do is say let's come up with an alternative that um is enjoyable and fun and helps people to to build a relationship in a good way but it's also safe and it protects them and they can they can be more trusting of this process and it puts them way more in control but it is going to go in many ways against both of those currents of culture Hey friends, we wanted to quickly interrupt this incredible episode today to bring to you something that we're really excited about. We hear women saying all the time, where are all the good Christian men out there? And while I know dating is frustrating, trust me, I hear it. I also know God created amazing single Christian men. If you like some proof of that, ladies, then I'd like to invite you to come see them for yourself in our Drop the Hanky digital dating program. We created this platform as a new form to online date. Basically, it's a service that features videos of Christian single men from around the world of varying ages. We post new single men on the platform daily. Here's one testimonial that we recently got and just loved. The Lord has shown me that he can bring healing from brokenness. This is what I'm experiencing as I've connected with one of the guys in the program. No, we don't enter as a blank slate, but the Lord is helping me see that my past does not dictate the future. There is hope, restoration, and reconciliation. No matter where this relationship leads, the Lord is calling me to embrace what's in front of me. That is good, that is different, and He truly makes things new. This was the best $9 I have ever spent. You guys, I just love that. We have so many testimonials like this, and we do have relationships coming from the Drop the Hanky program, which is such a testimony to what God is doing here. Now, if you want to give it a shot, I want to encourage you to come join us for $9 by visiting bit.ly forward slash drop the hanky. And also, dudes, you're not off the hook. We want you to be a part of this as well. It takes two to tango. And in order to make this program thrive, we do need guys to submit videos for the program. So if you are a single dude or if you know an eligible single Christian dude, we want to invite you to nominate them or nominate yourself. You can do this by going to bit.ly forward slash single dude. Now, I know it takes vulnerability, but guys, isn't it worth a shot to try something different and have a whole bunch of women potentially contact you and then see what happens? I'd say it is. Here's what one of the guys in our program had to say. Drop the hanky has challenged me to put myself out there knowing there would be some sort of response. It's 10,000 times better than a dating app. 
It gave me an opportunity to meet awesome women who love God. You guys, this is awesome. We'd love to see more singles of all ages come and join what we are doing. I'm super intrigued and I, I've read your book, but even just with everything you're saying, I'm like, I need to know more. How do we, what kind of things can people do? And can we just maybe go into some of the things you suggest so that people can have a more balanced and peaceful and just more clarity in this process that feels like a confusing tug between what you're saying, the current and that undercurrent, you know? And I think that is where there's so much tension in what I always say. It's funny that you're bringing up a current because I always say in the the intro of this podcast that we're navigating the murky waters of dating. You know, the waters are murky and there's lots of currents going on to your point. So what are some of the things, how do we begin to uh, approach this in a different, in a healthier way, not speeding up the timeline, making sure we are really, you know, developing into these buckets? I'm just where do we begin there? So I, I think um, I'll start very broad and then we'll start working down. Yeah. Um, the head and the heart need to work together. Mm-hmm. And so what are we talking about when we talk about the head and the heart? Well, the head is uh, how we're thinking about a person or thinking about ourselves, And what we're getting to know would be um, under that area of the head knowledge. So engaging your head so what, what do we need to know? What And that's going to be the five buckets. Here are five areas that are really, really critical areas that ha- are easy to describe on the surface, but they go deeper and deeper and deeper, and they have tremendous predictive powers to them. So that's the, the head knowledge. The heart knowledge, I defined uh, in that relationship attachment model that we haven't given you the particulars to, but if you remember, I said it's it's like a mixing board with you know, visual sliders that represent the strength of how we bond in our hearts with another person. So having a, having a way to, to actually define, uh, I've functioned for a long, long time on a premise that what I cannot define, I cannot control. I, I can't intervene. I can't, like in my counseling practice years ago, I found this over and over and over is that when somebody is wrestling with an issue and we just get definite, oh, it's not anxiety. It's really anger. I'm really mad about, oh my gosh. As soon as it's defined accurately, the level of their ability to intervene and take charge of it increases dramatically. And so in our relationships, If we can define how our heart is bonding with a person and we can portray it in some kind of way that gives a profile of where we are, what's happening, that definition increases our ability to be intentional and involved in running that relationship, which I think is important to do. Relationships, I say, don't run themselves. It's important for us. So the heart bonds are what that relationship model is all about. And you put it together, those two areas of, of really what are the two major sections of my book, they're also um, integrated all through the online course, Head Meets Heart, that people can, like we said, that people can watch the first session of and I love see it. if they like it and if it's gonna help them. But the idea is if I can keep my head working with my heart, 
then I maximize the best potential for having a relationship success. So if we want to start with the, the heart, I would just say, okay, this model that we've described as a, a mixing board, if you think, if you just, if everybody kind of visualize sliders, five of them starting on the left, how much you know somebody is the first one. So those three T's of getting to know somebody, time, minimum amounts of time are necessary for getting to know somebody. You have to talk about the right stuff and you have to see them together in different situations. We call it the three T's of, of really getting to know people. That influences how much you know. And then these five buckets we're going to talk about are actually like a drop-down box. What, what do I get to know? So the how do I get to know them is the three T's. Talk, be together, and do it over time. That's that's the how. The what is like a drop-down box of five areas we'll give you. But knowing somebody is a way we bond. Our best friends are people we know really, really well. And when we feel like somebody knows us, we, we feel connected and close to them. And that goes up and down in all of our relationships. The second is how much you trust them. So just because you know them doesn't automatically mean you trust them. There's some people that you know a little bit, like in the pod of life. <laughs> we didn't call them pods. We actually called them incubators, where you, it's a situation where you are kind of like locked in with that person in an incubator and it heats up the, the relationship so that you, you actually know them very little, but you feel like you know them. And that means your trust has gone way up. It's it's more of a feeling. It's really in your mind how you kind of create a, an image of who they are in your head. And we have images of people that later on were like, oh my gosh, I thought I knew you, but I really didn't. And it wasn't a no. It was, I truly didn't know you very much, but I had formed a really elaborate picture in my head of who you are. And I just put in all these good pieces. I filled in all the blanks with glowing good things. So knowing and trusting are the first two ways we connect in our hearts. The next one is what we call rely. And you might be like, well, that's the same as trust, but rely is more the action. It's how you meet another person's needs and what they do to meet your needs. It's, it's this thing of mutual fulfillment. It's like you were there for me or you called me at just the right time. Or I can't believe how did you know I, 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 I like, I, what did I just watch? I just watched some movie. It was a movie about the, the guy in the, in the eighties that got accused of the, the bombing of the, in the oh, park. Oh yeah. Or the concert. What was right? No, I can't think of what it was called. I though. The name of the movie. <laughs> but I know what you're talking about. How bad is that? But um, <laughs> he was, he, he had a job and he, and he was cleaning offices and things. And he had a lawyer and he, and he said, open your bottom drawer to the lawyer and the lawyer opened the bottom drawer and it was full of like little snicker bars. And he's like, how did you know that snicker bars are my favorite? He goes, ah, I just heard you say it. Well, in the movie, that lawyer feels a bond with this guy that was just in his offices and then later ultimately became accused. And he became the lawyer that represented him and actually defended him to show his innocence. But I would just say, that's reliance. That's, I mean, that's a little small example of how people pick up on little things, but you got to be careful. All right. Just to look ahead. Some people that are 
end up having really big problems. Some people that are really abusive initially are extremely good at picking up on little nuances of what is important to you, meaningful to you, has value to you, and doing that, acting in that way to meet that need, which forms this sense of, of mutual reliance or the bond of reliance goes up really fast. And you maybe don't know them or, or maybe you are now in your mind trusting them, but the reliance is really what's pulling you into the relationship. And narcissists are really good. I say it terrible to say. They're really good at that in the beginning of relationships that later become a lot of times um, the, the source of narcissistic rages. So not to think worst case scenario. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, but that's good to know as well because there's other factors because it's, it's all in balance, right? Because you're right. Like the relying, I've experienced that many times. And I'm thinking like, that's how I've gotten more hooked in. You know, it's like, I'm like, oh, I can rely on this person. Or in the very beginning, it's definitely been something that for me has been a difficult challenge of knowing how to balance and really start seeing things. And again, to your point of like over time, especially. Especially over time. And so- if you think of, I was trying to differentiate knowing, trusting, and relying, and each of these kind of plays off the other. They interact with each other, and they're parts of a whole. So I am, I am dissecting a relationship, but realizing that a relationship like an organism is a whole, and these are the main parts that are, are connecting you, but they are not always in harmony or in balance with each other. And they can, they can artificially be accelerated, and at least some of them can, and others are kind of contradicting it. So I can maybe know somebody little and trust them a lot, or I can get to know somebody and my trust deflates dramatically, or I can have a relationship with somebody where they keep doing special things for me or saying things or interacting with me in a way that meets an important need of 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 partnership or companionship or feeling I need to feel understood. And this person, when they talk, man, when I talk to them, they're phenomenal. They just always know the right thing to say to me. And that meets a need. So my reliance is going way up. The, the last two are commitment and touch. And so commitment is not just the promises you make, although that's part of it, but it's how in your heart, how much priority you're making, so there are people that get into a relationship and I think their heart commitment goes way up. They drop all their friends <laughs> right. they're 24-7 with the person, you know, all of a sudden, whatever they were doing that was maybe self-improvement focused all becomes relationship focused. And they're highly, highly accelerated in that heart commitment, way beyond what they know, trust or rely in terms of the person. And I think that's risky. And then touch is anything from affection to, to romantic to sexual touch. And each of those, so each of those five, no, trust, rely, commit, touch, each one is bonding. Each one is a major source of how we bond in a relationship. And in a new relationship, a nice way to just kind of use that as a logic model is to say, are any of the areas higher, significantly higher than any to the left? Is my trust significantly higher than my no? A red light ought to go on. Is my reliance and trust 
higher than no? Or is my reliance higher than what I have really built a trust and a knowing? Is my investment a priority and commitment and involvement and focus on this relationship? Is that higher than any to the left? And is touch higher than any to the left? Which means that touch is the last one that should go up. It should never go higher. Your physical involvement should never go higher than the knowing, trusting, relying, and commit commitment levels. Those levels should always set the ceiling. Uh, the lowest of those levels, I should say, should set the ceiling of touch. And we can set arbitrary boundaries in any of those five areas, independent of the others. I can set a boundary on my touch, just like in social distancing with my grandkids. You know, that's not sexual, but that's affectionate touch. I haven't hugged them now for two weeks and it, they just live two blocks from me, at least two of, of my three grandkids. And my wife and I, you know, are very, very careful because she has a real compromised immune system. My wife does. And so um, we've set really strong boundaries. People in dating relationships can set boundaries. But if you think of those five areas, it's extremely common for one of the areas to go up in an accelerated way when another one is locked in time. I think getting to truly know somebody's locked in time, but trust, reliance, commitment, and touch are really not locked in time and they can go up in highly accelerated ways and create lots of, I think, high risk relationships that feel good at the moment but many times end up burning people. And then they go into the next relation. See, this is this accumulate accumulation effect of I've gotten burned now in three relationships is what feeds that cultural undercurrent that I mentioned of mistrust and avoidance and and anxiety. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this is so good. I'm like analyzing myself at the moment as you're speaking, John. I'm like, hmm, <laughs> I can definitely see how in many areas. I have been, I've dated guys who have been more quote unquote love bombers, I would say. And so that speaks to my area of my love language of affirmation. And so I guess in this model, I'm heart connecting in the area of reliance because I'm feeling like, oh, they're saying so much in the beginning that makes me feel very seen, makes me feel very admired and loved in a capacity. And so my reliance like scale is going up a lot. In which case I'm like, oh, I really, I really love, like really enjoy being with this person. I'm, I feel more connected, more attached to this person. And so maybe I'm willing to then up my commitment to this person. But to your point, I would say in that scenario, the other elements aren't, you know, it's not moving at a gradual pace. So as you're saying that, I'm like reflecting like, oh gosh, there's been a lot of times that that's happened. <laughs> I know. And I, I have this premise about relationships. I think that we tend to, to, to believe, and this has been really going all the way back to the crazy 1920s mm. and some of the revolution that happened at that time. And then especially in the 60s, if you're in love or if you have an attraction or if the relationship is good, it runs itself. It, it, there is, it has its own inertia and it will just grow and develop and take care of itself. And if it's, it's kind of like what will be will be. If it's if it's good, it, it will take care of itself. It will happen. And then we spiritualize that. We say, if this was meant to be, the Lord is going to bless it. He's going to direct it. He's going to make it. And there's truth to that. But we have to we have to understand that 
God holds us involved in running our lives. He's going to direct us. He's going to guide us. But we are not passive passengers on the sh- you know, the ship of relationships or life or whatever it is. We, we go to our jobs, we work, we write our resumes, we do our, you know, we put effort into these things and relationships require the same. There's a balance. Uh, there's a real good scripture. I love it in Philippians that says that uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. And if you think of that one verse, it captures, I am responsible to work out my salvation while I'm also relying on God to work in me, to to give me the willpower and the ability to do, the wisdom to do his good pleasure. But it is not one or the other. I'm not doing it on my own and God's not doing it for me. Relationships don't run themselves. And they don't correct themselves when they get into trouble or they run into glitches. So this model that I've just described really helps people know how to run their heart, how to run the relationships in in thoughtful ways. You know, where is my no? Am I getting to know the right stuff? Where is my trust? Where is my investment of commitment? You know, how are we relying on each other? Is it, you know, am I relying on this person more than they're relying on me? Or you know, is this, is it mutual? And where's our, our level of touch? What does that look like? And they can be intentional about pacing a relationship in a, in a positive way. I love that. This is so helpful. I'm like taking copious notes. And also, John, I'd love to talk about the opposite. Well, the head part, I guess as well. So these are the things that we should seek to get to know better and learn, right? So maybe we can also dive into quickly those areas. I know this is a broad overview and there's so many layers to all of this, but I think it's so helpful for people to even just begin thinking about how they've been approaching relationships in the past or how they can approach it differently in the future and hopefully get connected with more of your resources. But maybe let's talk a little bit about the the head part as well. Absolutely. So in the, in the program, we actually organize these five areas a little differently. In the book, I organized them in what I thought was uh, a common way that we move into getting to know somebody. Like what is the thing that hits us in the face first off? And that what is the layered effect kind of if we're going deeper and deeper. So I'm going to, I'm going to describe them very quickly here in an overview, according to how I put them in the book. So the first thing that we begin to see is is the click factor of compatibility. Do I have chemistry with this person? Is there attraction? Um, Obviously in the pods, it would be more of a communication clicking as well as some of the content of what is said. So so it could be some good things. They could start revealing some values, how a person talks, how they listen, how they um, understand you. That starts to get into a second area that I think is oftentimes seen very quickly Each of these areas, by the way, are layered and you can go deeper and deeper in each area as well. But I think right away, you start to see the skill level, the relationship skill level of a person. Do they seem to be conscientious in how they relate to you? Are they thoughtful? Do they interact? Do they repeat what you say in kind of a meaningful way? Do they listen and talk in a balanced way? So the skill level, the compatibility level. Compatibility, I think it's not just chemistry. There is a sense of, you might say, we call personality values and lifestyle. You start to 
see different levels of their personality, but but how does their personality fit in with mine? Um, how is their uh, value system? But these are some things that I go back to the three T's of how you get to know people. You you learn a person's values by talking, but also by observing yeah. and seeing them and, and how they handle different situations uh, on and on. So compatibility, relationship skills, how they handle conflicts would be a relationship skill that might not be seen right away. Right. But uh, in time, you begin to, to hear them talk about a conflict at work or a conflict in their family, or you even have a little difference with them and get into a conflict. Compatibility, relationship skills. If you keep going, the third target area that is described in the book is how they relate in all their other relationships. So how do they treat other people and how do they interact with them? I call it relationship scripts. You know, people have a certain number of scripts that they use with different types of relationships. But a lot of times in a long-term relationship, particularly like marriage, all those scripts eventually come out. <laughs> and so you want to get to know all the different scripts and try to figure which of them are going to be dominant in how they script with me, how they how they interact with me. The fourth area, now we're into to areas that take a, a really a lot of depth, a lot of conversations, and then as many experiences as possible is family patterns and backgrounds. So they're family stuff. Uh, I always thought it was a little humorous in like The Bachelor, The Bachelorette. They usually had one episode long after they've they've narrowed down the partners to maybe just a, a handful. One episode where they went and met the family, right? Yes. <laughs> it isn't, it? yeah. And they would usually fly and eat dinner with the family and they'd have all the family in and it'd be like a, a three hour meeting at best. <laughs> and then they'd leave and then they'd have the family give them all input. And I'm like, okay, so again, one of the most important areas, talk to any marriage and family therapist and they'll tell you how we were raised, set many of the templates of our adult relationships, particularly when we recreated marriage and family type relationships in an adult relationship. So uh, moving in with somebody or dating somebody in a seriously committed relationship or ultimately getting married and having kids of your own, Many of the templates that, that we act on are unconscious templates that were formed way back in family stuff. So here's a major important area that was just glossed over. I'm glad it was included. I always said, well, give them credit. They included <laughs> it. But they included it in a way that was so accelerated and so minimized that it, it maybe did more harm than good in the long run. But um, I think that's a really, really huge area. And then the last area that I really didn't find anybody talking about in terms of dating books and marriage and family was the maturity of the conscience. Because the conscience is really the, it's the dashboard of character. How we run our character comes right out of how our conscience functions, how mature it is. The conscience helps to, to mitigate our defenses. Our defenses can override our conscience and shut it down. And, and if that's done in harmful ways, then that's a weak conscience. The conscience is not strong enough to, to say, I'm sorry to somebody because, you know, one of our defenses is getting in the way or our ability to emotionally regulate you know, to control our emotions. 
if our conscience is a mature, well-functioning, it really is, I think, Freud saw the conscience separate from the ego functioning of a person, and I put it at the heart of ego functioning. How I handle myself, my other relationships, spring out of the maturity of the conscience. And the conscience is something that you can actually figure out in a dating partner. How mature is their conscience? Because it's one of the strongest predictors of what they'll be like in a long-term relationship. So just to kind of summarize, there's major areas of compatibility. That's one. There's um, how they've developed their own skills of relationships, both in how they communicate and just dialogue with you on a regular basis or empathize with you and understand you all the way to how they handle conflicts. How they treat others becomes a real big bucket of information and need to look at then their family stuff what do you exactly get to know about the family stuff because it's a lot of times it's not what happened in the family it's what they took out of that family so how were they shaped by that family and um so we go into a lot of detail explaining all that and then the fifth area is the maturity of their conscience which is really in many ways an accumulate you know a a product you might say of both their family and all these other areas all kind of converging into, you know, what is something inside of them that helps to be a moral compass as well as a source of empathy and understanding and compassion for others. Wow. So this is incredible, John. I'm taking all the notes. I, I have already notes and I'm like, more notes. So basically in balancing our head and the head and the heart, especially in dating, how do people now hearing this information go, oh my gosh, okay, I've been doing this wrong or I've definitely not been looking at these areas or these are the things I've missed. How do we start going into relationships, into dating, kind of readjusting and making sure that we are balancing the head and the heart? Anything just off the cusp there? Sure. I think, I mean, I'm a firm believer in education and that learning, I, I mean, first of all, in my Christian life, in my relationship with the Lord, I believe that I am growing as a person. I'm 61 years old, but I'm still growing as a person. Yeah. And that that is part of what I would say the New Testament called the sanctification process. Yeah. It's it's how God is continuing to work. So, let's start with this very firm, positive, hopeful understanding of the scriptures that say Hey, we're all imperfect. We all have ups and downs. You know, we can all do a David, you know, we can all make horrible. uh, We can all do a Peter where we say, Mm -hmm. Lord, I'd never do that. And then we end up doing that. (laughs) So here are the giants of faith that, you know, the rock upon which the church is built, Mm. who uh, contradicted his own promises to the Lord and um, a man that's probably one of the greatest leaders of the whole Old Testament, you know, just phenomenal, who committed adultery and murder. And God continued to work in his life, continued to use both of these men in, in phenomenal ways. Yeah. So in our relationships, this is not, this is where Paul says, where sin abounds, grace all the more abounds. This is not, and then he follows it up and say, okay, so should we just keep on sinning so that grace abounds? I mean, he he takes 
the devil advocate approach and says, is this an excuse? Absolutely not. We should be moved with hope and confidence in the growth process by these promises and these examples in the lives of biblical giants. And so I would say anybody that has any regrets or areas of, of, you know, relationship baggage, a feeling of shame, they need to just kind of sink into the love of the Lord that says, don't wallow in feeling shame or a, or a lack of forgiveness, but you need to step into a very practical relationship sanctification process. <laughs> and so that's what we've tried to do with honestly with our online courses. I'm not saying that they're the only ones. There's lots of books. There's a ton of stuff out there for people. But what we've tried to do is give really clear definition and practical suggestions. Take concepts, define them clearly, and put them in a way that is true for the scriptures. But also, I always thought, you know, relationship science, which is psychology and sociology studies, a lot of that research was just the how-tos of biblical concepts of the ought-tos. <laughs> and and so we we learn the how-tos and we hear the, here's the skill, here's how to develop the skill, here's how to practice the skill. And this is going to be ultimately fulfilling this biblical ought to in, in our in our lives. And so converging those two things, you know, science and theology, I always felt was a wonderful, you know, a wonderful approach to all of this. So I would say start there, jump into an online course, read the book, get yourself educated because a, a lot of people, what they drastically need is input. Give me input. That's what we've ultimately tried to do. And hopefully it will benefit people in many, many ways. John, this is so incredible. I am just so excited for everyone listening to this conversation today. I hope, I bet people are going to go back and re-listen it as I am because there's so much to learn and glean, even just if this is the starting point for people to be like, wow, this is a definite new way to think about how I'm approaching dating and maybe the elements that I'm missing and maybe the elements that I am rushing or, you know, <laughs> being blind about, love is blind reference. And I just want to, for every guest on our podcast, John, I ask the same last question that I'm going to ask you, which is just out of everything we've talked about today or everything that you've learned through your 25 or whatever, however long it's been of you doing this incredible work, what is just the final nugget that you would provide for people of dating advice? That's always a, like, can we boil it all down to one, one thing? <laughs> uh, you know, I'll start, I'll, I'll end where I started when we're talking about this content, that the head and the heart are meant to work together. And in many of our relationships, the head and the heart are in conflict. People will describe it in their own way. They'll say, you know, uh, on the one hand, I feel this and this and this, and this is good and so wonderful. But, you know, on the other hand, he does this or she does that. And I don't, I don't quite feel right. And, and they don't have clarity. They don't have definition. And what they are really describing is, if you analyze it, is the bonds of their heart are not synchronized with the, the judgment of their mind. And I say when, the, when our bonds of our heart are too strong, 
which many good-hearted people do. I mean, they're, they're caring, they're loving, and, they, and, but, and they're in the culture that has highly accelerated bonds. The bonds of our heart can override the judgment of our mind, and we can end up staying in a relationship that we should have addressed, we should have maybe confronted things, maybe should have gotten out of, we can end up staying there for months and even years. And that happens to lots of people. And it just creates those, uh, what I call the the current and the counter, you know, the, the undercurrent yeah. that polarizes us. So the head and the heart need to work together. Uh, one other thing, Kate, <laughs> it's not fair to throw in like, I always call these the doorknob issue as you're walking out the door, you know, I got one more thing. Um, but one other thing I would just kind of toss out there is um, anybody that's not in a relationship, this is the best time to, to really dig deep and learn this. It, it can change what I call the mental templates of what you expect and plan on doing when you do get in a relationship and you can avoid all kinds of stuff. And if you are in a relationship, then I would say, do this together with the person you're in a relationship with. If you're in some kind of a committed relationship, read the book together, go through the online course together. We even have a, uh, an assessment in the online course that's just part of it from Prepare and Rich called the Dating Couples uh, Checkup. And it compares answers you take it separately, and then it gives you a report in your email, and, it, and we make reference to it in the course as well. And it's a, but do it together. And if you have somebody that you're in a relationship with that is really resistant to stepping in and doing something together with you like this, then know that that is a red flag right away because (laughs) (laughs) that resistance to um, address the relationship at the front end is probably only going to get worse. So I, I have a little saying that says, Many of the good qualities we see at the beginning of a relationship don't last. But unfortunately, if you see a negative, it's probably only going to get worse. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) There you go. That's so good, though. And I do share with people one of the qualities I look for the most and try to also adhere to is just teachability and a willingness to learn and grow, have a growth mindset over a fixed mindset. And so I love that you just said that. That would be a red flag for me for sure if I was dating someone and suggested, hey, do you want to do this together and and kind of look in this? I want to I really want to continue to do this healthily with you. If they were like, no, I would be like, okay, this is a problem. So I'm, I'm so glad that you said that because, uh, yeah, it, those qualities, the lack of desiring to learn and grow or whatever is coming up will only probably continue to be stronger over time. That's right. That's right. <laughs> John, this has been such a great conversation. I am just so grateful for you. We are going to connect everyone to it's lovethings.com. Is that right? It is. But um, if they go to mylovethings.com. Oh, mylovethings. Okay. That's also the Instagram. They can jump on and get daily involvement from us at mylovethings uh, on Instagram, but also mylovethings.com will give them access to the online courses, to free resources, That's kind of where we're putting the grassroots information. Uh, Love Thinks is our main company website that has where they can get certified. Get they get there's a store there, and so there's and there's a ton of research about our programs on Love Thinks. But it's kind of the the main company, and it's where a lot of certified and. 
instructors go to for resources and things. I love it. Uh, okay. On a grassroots level, my love things is really that's that's mm. for me. That's mine. And yeah. That's where we're wanting to give just resources to to everybody on a individual you know, relationship by relationship, person by person basis. I love it. So good. John, thank you so much. This has been such an enriching conversation. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And hopefully we can do this again. And um, talk to to both your your singles, uh, maybe more. Yes, I would love Uh, to. uh, Thank you so much. I appreciate uh, all your work and and what you're doing and be safe and healthy and continue to, to, to serve God and serve others. It's so important in this day and age, especially. Oh, John, thank you. And same to you. And I do want to just say we will meet in real life one day once this is all over the quarantine. That would be great. And I'm excited for that. I'll talk to you soon. You guys, I am pumped up by John's message and I hope you are too. That conversation was so incredible. I gotta say this, I could not recommend more that you go out and listen or get John's book, How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk. I also want to urge you to even consider his online courses, especially if you're currently dating. Remember, they have helped millions of people worldwide. So absolutely, I love this. I think it'd be an incredible resource for you. Now, will you do us another favor? If you liked this episode, would you help us start season five off strong? Would you text this to a friend that maybe has never heard of the podcast before? Would you screenshot this wherever you are right now? And would you post it on social media and tag us at at Heart of Dating and at Kateness? It would mean the world. We really want to start off strong on season five. All right, you guys, you're amazing. We love you and I'll see you next week. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network.